1: Hello and welcome to the Publicly Challenged Podcast. I'm your host, Luke Oswald, and I hope you join me on my quest for knowledge to become a better public land hunter, angler, and forager. Stick with this, and who knows? Maybe we will learn something together. All right, so we are sitting here and we are with Jana Waller Bear or as she was known before the recent marriage, and congratulations on that. Um, Thank you. Super happy for you. Um, Yeah, so Jana Waller-Bear, also known as Jana Waller. And uh, Jana, (laughs) can you go ahead and introduce yourself for everybody listening?
2: Sure. Um, Yeah, we just had a a funny laugh about it before we started recording, but uh, I'm Jana Waller, and I recently added Bear to my last name. Um, I got married to John Bear this last June, and if anyone has been following me along the last 14 years of my outdoor industry career, they know how much I love bears. So no, to answer those questions, I didn't specifically target out a man with the last name Bear, but it just happened to be, and it's an amazing thing. It's not spelled B-E-A-R-B-A-I-R, but it's still a super cool last name. So I had to add it you're just into sexy, <laughs> so,
1: sexy auctioneers is what it is
2: yes yes exactly
1: <laughs> exactly you like fast doctors. but no I'm uh
2: <laughs> I am uh, originally from Wisconsin um you know been a hunter my whole life my dad brought me up in the outdoors and hunting was smart enough to sign me up back in 1983 for hunter safety yes you could do the math and I was you know the only girl in hunter safety and and uh it, it's glorious to see classes these days that are 50/50 you know girls and boys but i was a bird hunter in my youth and then my dad and my dad and i often road trip to south dakota from wisconsin um i picked up a bow my freshman year in college and so i've been uh, a diehard bow hunter for over 30 years and uh recently in the last i would say 6 or 7 years i've gotten into pistol hunting muzzleloader hunting uh long range rifle hunting so i kind of like to do it all um, what do they say? Uh, master of none. Like, what do they say? That What's that?
1: Jack called? of all trades,
2: master of none. Trades, master yep. of none. Yeah, basically that's me. Yeah. Um, but no, I started Skullbound TV almost 14 years ago and um, launched it on the Sportsman's Channel and was really blessed to have nine years on the Sportsman's Channel. And during that ninth year, I was toying with the idea of going digital because a lot of my partners were kind of wanting that. I stayed clear of YouTube because it's uh, everyone knows YouTube is not hunter-friendly, not gun-friendly, and uh, Carbon TV is. It's all owned by hunters. So I decided to do uh, kind of a test run, if you will, Skullbone Chronicles, we called the show. And it was basically highlights of the previous nine seasons on Sportsman's channel. And it did so well that the following year I jumped ship and went com- exclusively with Carbon TV. Now I'm launching in next week my season six of Skullbone Chronicles. And yeah, it's been an amazing almost 14 year TV career which I never intentionally planned on. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, everything happens for a reason and it was an amazing path that we happened to go down and uh, I feel super lucky to you know, be in this industry, be so connected to other hunters. And I uh, moved from Wisconsin to Montana, uh, now, uh, 14 years ago and, uh, started the show. And I have since moved from Montana to Utah this past June, but you know, I do a ton of public land hunting. I'm primarily, I would say a public land hunter. Um, I, uh, do, do outfitter hunts once in a while, but I really like to, if it's a great outfitter, I really like to take my veterans to those because it's just more accommodating. I do a lot of combat veteran hunts and some, uh, you know, when I have a nice lodge to go back to and vehicles to use and food provided, it just makes the hunt so much easier, even though they're still hardcore elk hunts. But, um, yeah, I just, uh, love every single species, every single weapon, and been super blessed to have Skullbound and Skullbound Chronicles. And, I'm just going to keep riding the train as long as it's going down the tracks.
1: I hear you. So cool. Um, I love, Jana, number one, that you kept the Midwest accent. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, that's not on purpose. doesn't matter. So <laughs>
1: last time I had you on, I had a friend huh? reach out to me and he said, gosh, dang it. I could just listen to her talk all day. <laughs> I love <laughs> the. I, he goes. I love a Midwest accent.
2: And oh, so, that's so cute. So well, it's really. I want to hear a really funny story about that. So <laughs> I don't know about you guys. I grew up in Wisconsin, and I didn't think any of us. The only people I thought who had accents were from the South. You know, like yep. you know the Southern draw. And then as you get a little older, you realize like, okay, New York and Boston, they've got their own kind of accent. But I really didn't consciously think about Wisconsinites or Minnesota or whoever us having accents, and I went to Australia when I was 18 years old, the summer after my senior year with my two best friends who were also in my class, and we just took three weeks and toured around Australia, and I, I, we went into this restaurant, we were talking to this guy, and he goes, hey, where are you ladies from, is it Canada, Minnesota, or Wisconsin, and my, my chin was on the floor, I'm like, how do you know that, (laughs) like, I couldn't believe, I didn't, I had no concept of us Wisconsinites, having a particular sound. And so since then, which was, you know, my goodness, how many years ago? uh, Yeah, I get a lot of slack from my Wisconsin accent. A lot of people love it. A lot of people tease me about it. I don't notice it at all. um, Even when I'm here in Utah, I think Utah people actually have a a kind of a Southern draw. It's like a California
1: mixed with Southern. It's it's oh, like oh, kind of drawn, yeah. Out. yeah.
2: <laughs> sorry, sorry, Californian. No, it's it's um, all
1: good. You know what's sad though, and just like Illinois, this is one thing. Illinois probably has a pretty close second to California bad rap, right? But yeah. it's really not all of California. I so I no. know so many good people from California, and most of them have made a mass exodus, which good oh, for yeah. them. But then oh, yeah. on the same hand, like here I am stuck in Illinois. Uh, dealing with a, uh, you know, just terrible, terrible politics and everything else. But it, I yeah. mean, number number yeah. one in corruption like the past twenty years.
2: <laughs> I tell you what, though, I feel like every state's got their, you know their their shameful moments, right? I mean, California is pretty easy to make fun of if you're in the gun and hunting industry, but there are a lot of other. I mean, every state's got. Look at Colorado right now with the wolf situation. I'm like, oh my god, like. Seriously, we all have things we could be completely proud of in our state and other things we're like, eh, not so proud of. So no offense to anybody in California or anywhere else. I've got lots of friends in Illinois and uh, <laughs> plenty of sconies still back home that I'm really tight with. But, no, I, back to the accent, I, I'm i actually very proud of it. John, my husband, makes fun of me on a weekly basis. He It's, it's
1: the it, hard it, pronunciation it, it, of the O, Jana. It's the – yeah. Have you guys heard oh, yeah.
3: California accents? <laughs> yeah. Uh uh-uh. uh. When I, okay, so when I was a little boy, uh, I grew up in Michigan and then we moved to Washington State. And I remember hearing everybody and being like, why did they talk this way? Everybody's saying, <laughs> that's a hot box. <laughs> <You know? laughs> like they got these long, drawn out <laughs> boobs.
1: <Yep>. California, <laughs> though, I mean, the prime example is Saturday Night Live. To where they're like talking about getting on the 405 and all that, that is yeah. that is California, like or at least SoCal, you know. Yeah, that is the accent John teases
2: sure. me more about uh, he always says there's you know, there's only one a in car, car. <laughs> I don't, and then he says that, apparently the word bag doesn't oh, have an e, bag, you know, like the grocery bagel. bag, bag,
1: yeah. <laughs> yep, bagel is another one that everybody <laughs> oh, makes yeah, fun of me for, yep. <laughs> I
2: get yeah,
3: him. I hear you, and I'm so, not embarrassed. Where, you, where, where in Wisconsin are you from, Jenna?
2: So I'm from uh, a town called Fort Atkinson. It's literally only two hours. Uh, it's only one hour north of Rockford, so it's oh, right. Really? In, it's right. Yep, only in between uh, an hour from Milwaukee and like 45 minutes from Madison.
1: So, huh. so you're almost huh. a fib, you know?
2: I mean, <laughs> <laughs> Jack. John loves that word, too. That's new to him. Yeah. Yeah, I I almost am. I'm only an hour from there. Yeah. It depends on my driving.
1: I think I'm far enough south in Illinois to where I'm not considered one of the fibs. Uh, if
2: you're in Illinois, you are. Oh, that's stop weird. it, <laughs>
1: Jana! That's terrible. No, I've had people tell me I hate Illinois people, but you're cool as hell. I've had them oh, say that I to me. Hate, so.
2: I'm just teasing. I don't. I don't hate anyone from Illinois, and <laughs> I have really great friends. My college roommates from Illinois. So no, it's not. I honestly like. We, people can joke all they want about you know geographics and where they're from, but I, if you're a nice person and a good, honest, authentic person, I'm gonna like you.
1: Mm. Well, we like you too. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Thank you.
1: So, okay, quick question, pop quiz. All right, because you're a Midwestern gal, I'm going to ask these things. All right. So, bluegill or crappie?
2: Bluegill.
1: Absolutely. 100%. I'm on board with that. (laughs) People who say crappie have never caught a nice big bluegill, especially like clean northern, cool northern lakes
2: we used to have a a little cabin on little Hills Lake in near Watoma when I was a kid. And it had just had the best pan fishing. And I, I grew up fishing. Well, like I, like I was telling John, not too long ago, it's like every town in Southern Wisconsin has its own Lake, you know, or big pond. And and, you know, from whitewater does, my mom lives on Lake Um, There's just so much great fishing in Southern Wisconsin. And that's why all you Illinois people come up to Wisconsin every summer. It's to, it's well, to catch our fish. Some
1: do. Now, <laughs> Jenna. I must note that I have yes. family in Wisconsin, and my grandmother owned a bar up there. And and so... I've
2: probably been to it. What is it?
1: <laughs> it was the old Triangle Tavern um, years ago. Yeah,
2: actually, probably not that
1: far from you, really. Yeah, where you were. Really? Yeah. What town? It was... Oh, jeez. I knew you are going to ask me that. I can't... I don't...
2: Have you ever? Do you follow that page, Drink Wisconsinably, on Instagram? Oh my gosh! Oh, they yeah. pay tribute to yeah. all the t- dive bars. Well, this taverns. one,
1: this one, she got rid of it. Uh, I mean, she owned it from like not long after. I don't know, probably the '40s up until oh. up until like '60s maybe. Okay. So yeah. Imagine the stories
2: of the people that came to her bar. Oh, I imagine. Oh, yeah. Yeah.
1: There's all kinds. Yeah, I wish I would have asked her, but um, yeah, yeah, I don't. I want to say Pell Lake or something like that, but I don't think that's right. But somewhere Mm -hmm. out that way, not too far over the Illinois border.
2: But cheers to Grandma.
1: Yeah, yeah. (laughs) She was a mean one, but. God love her. She, <laughs> she was, a mean. I'll tell you what, she was, she was, she was something.
2: <laughs> she was but, a Spitfire, huh? but she was well, nice, at, she, she was nice yeah, to me, well, so I they, never complained about it. They, look what they grew up in, you know. I mean, <laughs> when I think of my grandparents and their families, like they grew up in the world, like we think the world's changing right now, but in different ways. They grew up with, you know, with World War II and the Great Depression, and then Vietnam. And I mean, life was hard back then in the 30s, 40s, life was a lot a lot different than it is right now and it was tough I mean it turned people tough and so she might have been mean and crabby but I bet she had pretty good reason <laughs> oh she
1: was good to me though it didn't matter who she was mean to as long as she was nice to me but also <laughs>
3: I, I would probably say that a lot of the uh, meanness back then probably came from like vitamin deficiencies and... <laughs> yeah
2: every lack of sunlight too much work oh yeah yeah, yeah. the war yeah
3: working in the mines
2: yeah. Yeah. My <laughs> great, my, let's see, how does this go? My great grandmother's first husband was killed in the that cherry mine disaster in Illinois. It was oh, the wow. largest. Yeah. It's one of the largest mine disasters in our country, the cherry mine disaster. And what happened was back in those days, twenties, thirties, they had obviously mines were underground and they had these donkeys that were underground that would, cart things back and forth but their stalls were underground and the hay caught fire and there was a, an incredible fire in these mines and anyway my great-grandmother's first husband died in that in that illinois mine holy
1: cow i'm gonna look life. that up the cherry mine yeah for sure yep yeah mm-hmm. um so recently you went on a goat hunt and i did and uh pretty cool your first goat hunt right
2: uh-huh. I don't, I don't yep, ever my see birth.
1: myself going on one because don't say just... that
2: you never know. Oh come on, you never know. No, I don't. You have... never know. Here's <laughs> why. Here's why. Like you never know. So I I never really saw myself either. I'm a basically a DIY hunter. Like I don't have you know I don't drop thirty grand on hunts kind of thing ever. And so. But what happened was it was just timing. You never know. First of all, you got to put in the points. I never thought I would be able to hunt bighorn ram, and I drew that in Montana. I drew that tag. So you got. First of all, you got to put in. You got to be in it to win it. And (laughs) second of all, with the mountain goat, it was actually a conservation permit in the state of Utah. I happened to sell my house in Montana at. It was the peak of the not the peak of the market, but the tail end of when it was really good to sell Mm -hmm. you. And I think I'm probably the only one in Montana that moved out of the state in 2023, (laughs) but I sold, I sold my house for above ask. So I actually said, you know what, if mountain goat and grizzly, were the two last things really on my bucket list. And I, and I'm going grizz hunting this June, but I thought to myself, I'm doing the math and like, you know i can afford a big hunt like that every few years if i sock it away and so i'm doing the math and if you go on a mountain goat hunt now you're looking at 15,000 to 18,000 sometimes you can get good cancellation hunts um so cheaper than that but i'm i'm averaging it out and then i'm thinking airfare airfare for me and keith my cameraman um and then tag costs and then if i go with an outfitter i've got to tip the guide and you know that tip is a couple thousand dollars so i'm adding it up in my head and it's well over twenty thousand dollars, and I thought if I could get a conservation goat tag cheaper than that, I'm going to bid at auctions. Well, I got outbid the first auction I went to, but the second one I, I won it, and for below that. And so to me, it was the highest dollar amount hunt I'd ever invested in, but I did really well on the sale of my house, so I was celebrating with that, celebrating the, my getting married to John. and it was truly one of the most incredible adventures I've ever been on now it was 17 days it was in utah it was in the chalk creek camas unit not the best unit in utah for goats but there's a lot of goats but it was extremely hard to find big billies but um we had a big billy spotted on day three of our scouting we scouted for four days and hunted hard for 13 and we had a big billy spotted on day three of scouting well day four we went back up in there found him again okay sweet got our goat spotted well, then it was five days before I called Heath to come on up for the hunt. Da da da. And in the meantime, another tag owner went in there and killed that ram.
1: Oh,
2: <laughs> so, and man. that
1: sucks. That's heartbreaking.
2: <laughs> it was heartbreaking at the from time, but at the same, when I look back at it, I've talked to this guy. Great, really nice guy. Um, has a little bit of physical disabilities at times, and like I'm telling you right now, a goat hunt will kill you. It is so extreme. I'm so happy for this guy that he got this beautiful, big Billy that he was, it was, it was tough hunt, but it wasn't as tough as some of the other areas that we went into and everything happens, excuse me, for a reason. And, uh, and so we just hunted hard after that and we were just pounding it. And, um, yeah, I, I never knew what a panic attack was. And really, I've never known what that felt like until this hunt, there were two (laughs) different days where I thought I was going to die. Like Hmm. I'm, deathly afraid of height. And when I climb up into my tree stand, I'm like triple strapped. I've got harness on, I've got the climb rope. And I didn't used to be that. The the older I've gotten, I have felt more scared of heights, less confidence in my balance. Um, In my 20s, I still didn't love being up in tree stands, but I, I used climber tree stands. And, you know, I went a little higher than I do now. But as I've gotten older, I just hate height. There were a couple of different days on my goat hunt where you, if I took two steps left or two steps right, I was falling to my death. Yeah. And it was terrifying. And if if John on the last, I was only with, so he filmed me the first six days and I didn't know it would take 13. And so we've got incredible footage. We actually saw over, we saw 25, um, 25 ewes and nannies, a couple of billies. Some were just impossible to get to. But um, on that last day, when I did tag out, there's a little video on Instagram you can look at that I, from one of the days of scouting, we were sitting on a mountaintop and I panned with my cell phone. And little did I know, that mountain right next to the mountain we were on would be where I, on the very top where I killed my goat. And if you'd have told me, you're going to kill your goat up there. I would have said, "Oh hell no. There's no way I'm going up there." <laughs> like, like I don't think it's physically possible to get to him. You know, you might be able to shoot a couple of hard couple 100 yards from like the one saddle, but then how are you going to he's going to roll and get pulverized, you know, or you won't be able to get to him. <laughs> well, if it wasn't for my husband John just encouraging me every step of the way and saying, "Look, we we can do this. Let's just get up there and let's take a look once we're there. What do we have to lose?" So we, you know, took hours on hours to get up to where we climbed up to this one peak we were on, and there, there the goat was 200 yards away, and you know we watched it and filmed it for a half hour, but it was in this rock slide, where the rock slide slid and then sheer drop off 1500 vertical feet. So if I shot the goat there, it would roll and I would never be able to get it Mm because then it dropped down to another cliff that you could not get to. So we said if he comes left or goes right. I should be able to at least climb along the edge and get to this goat. And that's what happened. We waited until he crossed over and I dropped him in his tracks at 200 yards, like, and with some rocks and trees below the, above the drop-off. But I'm telling you, getting over to him and back was terrifying. Like, (laughs) like, like I froze at one point and I said, I can't, I can't do this. My body tells me I'm going to die. I kept thinking of you know, Cameron Haynes, friend, Roy, who literally, you know, fell to his death. It's, it's rare, but it happens. <laughs> and uh, anyway, just one step in front of the other. We got over to him, you know, did video, cleaned him out, packed him up. I I didn't even full body mount this goat because I was so scared of getting off the mountain with that weight. Um, oh, yeah, I'm true. just gonna do a, <laughs> yeah, I'm just gonna do a shoulder, a really, really cool shoulder mount with rocks, and we had all the meat in the one pack and the hide and head in the other, and got off. But it was incredible, and it was uh, one of the most unique things about the hunt was that I've never had a hunt that it's basically I'd never been in that unit before. We scouted a ton on the laptop with Onyx, you know, especially the new 3D layer where you can really go in and see what it looks like. And then we scouted for four days, just hiking into these canyons and looking around and taking, you know, looking to see where we could find some goats. But um, I'd never been on a hunt before where you literally start from a trailhead because that unit is one of the best hiking units in Utah. It was literally like hunting Glacier National Park. It was <laughs> so awesome. beautiful. It was so beautiful, but that it's so pretty. And so there's hiking trails everywhere. So we would pick different trails during the day. And then obviously, once you, you get up high, you spot the goats, you get off trail. But you always start the first three, four miles on the trail. And so I'd be sitting there in the morning looking at someone next to me who's all, you know, getting their walking sticks together and their their water bottles and this and that. And, you know, I'd be strapping my 28 nozzler to my backpack with a suppressor on the top. And, and you know, for the first few days, it was Mountain Goat Pauling, my buddy, and Heath and John and I. and. You could just tell some people's looks were like, what are you doing? You're going in there with a gun. Like, it was just crazy. But I never encountered (laughs) anyone that was negative. I did encounter a group of women one day that were on a girl's trip. I can't remember what state they were from, but they were out in Utah on a girl's trip. And we probably had a 45-minute chat on the trail, and they had every question on oh my gosh, you're hunting mountain goat? Like, what's that on the end of your gun? And do you eat mountain goat? And like, (laughs) they were totally inquisitive. And it was such a great conversation because they weren't negative at all. They weren't, you know, I could tell at first they were a little weirded out, but they they had such great questions. Those are the people that we hunters need to talk to. We need to talk to the people that aren't anti-hunting. They're not pro-hunting they they just don't know anything about it because they don't, they didn't grow up in a hunting family. I met this yeah. other gal one day who is a, like, I follow her on Instagram. Now, all she does is hike Every, Utah, Colorado. She hikes, she all by herself all the time. And we talked a lot. She had a pistol on her and a, and a bear spray and actually known as man spray. Um, <laughs> you know, just in case she ran into somebody creepy or something, but she mm-hmm. hikes all by herself all the time. And she, she had tons of really good questions. She wasn't judgmental or negative at all. And she literally said at the end, you know, I've been thinking about how great it would be to be able to go out and get organic meat myself. I just don't even know where to start. And so we've communicated a little bit online and like, that was a great conversation too. And it's funny. I remember one guy in the parking lot goes, is that a suppressor? You've never seen one. Is it legal? I'm like, yeah, it's legal. Like I'm not going to hunt with it. it's not legal. And, you know, just a good conversation about. Hunting with a suppressor, you know, and, and the benefits of it to be in my ears and the animals. And so anyway, it was, it was, it was really unique experience, not just the hunt of itself and the terrain, but the people that I got to talk to on the trails almost every day. It was, it was definitely that part of the hunt was really, really cool.
1: So were you hiking in to the unit, uh, through trails every day? So you were gaining out you weren't like yeah. camping at elevation. Yeah,
2: we, well, we, we set up our base camp at the base of like where we'd still drive to the trailhead and head in. We set up a base camp for the first six days. Um, but yeah, we started out on trailheads because what you do, cause the trailheads are going to lead you to the high point. Right. That's why they're trailheads. You know, that's why these trails are awesome. Cause people want to get really high. They want to have an awesome mountain climb and then you start to scout. And so we almost always, I'm trying to think if there was a day we didn't start at a trailhead. I don't think so. Every single day. And then we would branch off and cut off the trail when we saw goats up here, or goats over there, or, you know, we'd see goats maybe in the afternoon being like, okay, they're literally two and a half miles away, three miles away. You could just see these little white specks, you know, with, that stand out like a sore thumb with your, with the vortex. We took our vortex spotter and, um, it was, yeah, it was jam- There was a day that I thought it was good. I thought the day was going to turn into a dateline episode you know like i <laughs> a dateline <laughs> podcast prime show because i was either going to kill john or he was going to kill me we we got a tip from i don't even remember where it came from that oh there's goats above this one lake you got to go in there da 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 so we looked on onx and it looked like a tough hike but doable right because the first like 5 or 6 miles were trail Well, I didn't. I didn't look as closely as I should have on the 3D and realized that to get to the spot that we wanted to look up into this one canyon was about seven miles, and it was and about five of those miles were like zigs straight up. Like you know, when you go up a little bit, you hike, and you're like, okay, it's been a half hour, forty minutes of hiking straight up. It's got to go down one of these. Like right after a while, (laughs) you feel like gotta at least flatten out a bit or something. And it was just climb. It was a really steep, steep climb. And the end, we ended up getting back to the truck. We never saw a goat that day. But we got back to the truck. We had done, um, it turns out we did almost 16 miles that day. And we actually tried to hike up to the top of this one cliff once we were all the way back up in there. And I, I couldn't, that was the first panic attack I've ever had. <laughs> I couldn't go any further. It was, it was literally like this to get mm. to the top. And I just felt so unsafe and like there weren't any, it was just sheer rock and there was nothing to grab onto. And I just called it. I said, I can't. And so then we went back down and went around this other big mountainside to see if they happened to be in the back over there. By the time we got back to the truck, I said, literally, I'm, I'm shocked this, this isn't going to be a future date. Like, two of them went into the mountains and only one returned. Like yeah. I literally, <laughs> I literally wasn't sure I was going to live that day. And then the last day of the hunt, the day 17 of when I got the goat, there were a couple really scary parts for me, you know, not John's not afraid of heights. He's like a monkey up there. He could just walk super, he's a super confident, the fear of heights can literally paralyze you in situations like that. Like I was, there was a couple of times he had to come back for me. Let me just grab the back of his coat because it was sheer drop off on either side of this little skinny Ridge. And I was just terrified. And, uh. But, you know, then when you get down and you're like, I did it, it is the most incredible feeling of just yeah. like, look what we just did. Look what we accomplished. It was a super hard hunt, but it was it was such a great experience. It was the first we've hunted a ton in the last three, four years, but not like that. <laughs> not like yeah. day in, day out and like just pushing your body to the limit. I've done a lot of really cool hunts before my uh bighorn ram hunt was 17 days that was two days of scouting 15 days of hunting that was super hard um i did a backcountry alaska moose hunt uh diy that was hard but nothing was like this goat hunt (laughs) yeah
0: (laughs) it was awesome and i
2: just i just ate the last of the meat so we uh, celebrated i know i'm so bummed you just don't get a whole lot of meat they're all fur but we it was really good eating i made my favorite way to make it was out this curry dish that a friend sent me a recipe for. And it was delicious. We had it New Year's Eve and sort of celebrated, like, and told the story of the hunt again with our friends and had the last of the goat meat. Oh,
1: wow. Yeah, I have,
3: I have a question because I'm completely ignorant about the regulations of goat, goat hunting. Um, yeah. Is it only the uh, billy goats that you can shoot?
2: In... No. It depends. Okay. I take that back. It depends on this on where you're hunting, what state, and it depends on the type of tag you have. I had okay. a tag where I could shoot anything. You could okay. shoot Billy Nanny, and, and it is truly the hardest animal to judge. You have to take a, a quiz before you hunt. You have to go on the you I'm sure all the states that have billy goats have this, but you have to go on Utah's uh you know site and take a quiz. And uh, actually Steve Ranella has he's the one narrating the video about it. It's a really good video. I learned so much in that video watching online about mountain goats, because I didn't know anything about them before the hunt, Mm -hmm. nothing. I'd I'd seen them on other hunts I've been on. Um, We saw them on our Alaska hunt. I've seen them in Montana, but I've never hunted them. And then Mm -hmm. you want to learn everything about them and, you know, their habits and like, when do they mate and the kids and everything. And it's a really good video, but they are, they're truly such a hard species to uh, differentiate the Billy's from the nannies, especially when you're looking three, 400 yards away. The billies have a thicker base on their black. Mm-hmm. They both have big black horns that go back. Nannies can actually have longer horns than billies. What you look for, the nannies have a skinnier horn at the base. Um, mm-hmm. They often don't have a big black gland at the base like the billies do. The billies will often have a big dirty spot on their rumps because they love to dig in the dirt and lay down more than the nannies do. The num guess this is crazy cool. How do you think the number one way to tell the difference of an Annie and a Billy is?
3: I would guess by their testicles.
2: <laughs> That's close. That's very close. Um, they're hard to see though. They're so full. Utters hanging. Really yeah. But the animals are so full of this. Long- and that as you, so I could have started my hunt early September and it went like two months. But the later you get, you might get snowed out of the canyons, Mm. um, but their fur gets every day bigger and more beautiful and fluffy. Mm. My goat was so big and fluffy because it took so dang long to get. Um, But no, the number one way you can tell the difference is how watch them pee, how they pee, which is so interesting, you know, because, yeah, it really is. And trust me, I in 17 days and all the goats we spotted totally. So the nannies squat like a girl dog and Mm -hmm. the, the billies. Look almost like a horse, they stretch out and they kind of pee like a horse. It's a total <laughs> and that that is the number one telltale sign. And then there's the horn thing and the dirt on their butt and their body shape. But I'll tell you what, I saw some monster nannies, huge. Wow. So, yeah, it is very hard to tell. But yes, my tag was any, any nanny or Billy. Wow. And I think there were how I don't know how many, how many tags were in my unit. I, I can't remember now but I know I talked to the guy who got a Billy in the unit right across from us, where which I saw every day because the highway separates it. Um, and then of course the hunter I talked to who got the, and the reason we know he got my Billy, this Billy had a collar. That's another <laughs> really cool, cool part of the hunt story. So when we spotted that Billy, I didn't really want to take it. If it was an active collar, you can, it's completely legal, but I've done a lot of, conservation work and a lot of work with the biologists. And I know how, how how much work it takes to collar animals. And I don't care if you're collaring mountain lions or bighorn rams or mule deer or goats, it's a lot of work and a lot of dollars. And so, you know, you, you can totally legally take us depending on what state and species, but he totally can take a goat that's collared. I just was like, "Uh, can we call and see, let's call the division and see if that's an active collar. And so John um, called his buddies, they called back and said, we have no active collars on that mouth. So we knew it was probably an older Billy that mm-hmm. was, had a dead collar on, and, uh, which is cool. Because, and then, then it was even cooler to think about getting him because I wanna get him. I wanna look at that collar, turn the collar in, see the data from the collar that even though the collar's dead, he still has record of who that goat is, what data they got off that goat before it went dead. And they go dead after a time period you know, because of their battery, their battery life. But anyway, this other hunter got them, which is uh, ended up to be a really good thing. And uh, yeah, it was a, it was an incredible experience. I'm so excited to launch that hunt. It'll be live on carbon TV free for everybody to watch um, mid January.
1: Nice. Amazing. So yeah. um, A lot of people talk about the whole collar thing. And I think I've even heard Ranella speak on it before and saying, as kind as cool as it is, at the same time he wouldn't want to do it, and I kind of feel the same way, and kind of how you felt too. It's neat to know the data, just like a band on a bird, but at the same yeah. time, you know that that animal has been molested. It's been it's been captured by someone else. It's been touched before you, and yeah. to know that it hasn't been completely wild because at some point something's touched it, which is kind of yeah, hard when I you're actually... on a trailhead anyway. You know, but yeah. like especially, I... I, I think an elk more so. Than like a goat or something like that. For me, I don't yeah. think I could I could shoot an elk that had a collar on it or a mule deer.
2: Yeah, I don't know. I I have I I can see both sides of it. I really can. For me, it wasn't that a human had touched because trust me, they're still wild as wild yeah. can be. <laughs> it's not it's not that a human touched it. It's that I didn't want if there's active science coming off that collar, I'd feel bad. Like I have a ton of friends who are biologists, and I just and and they wouldn't. I've talked to them about it too. I, uh, I actually missed a collared wolf back in the day. And, you know, I called up Liz, who was then the wolf biologist. And I was actually kind of afraid to tell her what happened. But I wanted to hear her if she knew this wolf and what her history was with it. And she did. And, and she was like, no, that biologists, they maybe don't all think this way. But I remember her saying this. And the other one we talked to about the goat is that we don't want those collars changing the hunt they sh- they're n- they're not out there to impede hunters from taking that animal like we're just there to get the data i'm sure some of them are disappointed when a live active collar does get taken but um no she was like you have every right to you know yeah. but unfortunately i missed yeah. <laughs> but um <laughs> but uh, no it is fascinating and i you know I'm so sick and tired of hunters bashing one another for this or that or what weapon are you using or that's not a big enough bull or da da da. da. I I'm just hey, everybody has their own as long as you're ethical and you're legal and you're enjoying the hunt and you're uh, you know, I just feel like everybody has their own unique pathway and and yep. style of hunting that it's not for me to judge or say And I wish that we hunters would band together stronger before we get our rights taken away because it's right around the corner. Absolutely.
1: Mm. Especially, I don't even care that Clay uses his French war (laughs) bow. That what? What? (laughs) So we Uh, have an ongoing joke. Go ahead, Clay.
3: (laughs) Oh, I I call I, I jokingly call my uh, because I don't I don't hunt with a regular bow. I call it my crossbow to make it sound more manly. I call it a French war bow.
2: <laughs> I love it. That's so funny. So, yeah, so I don't uh, even that's care. Another topic. Oh my yeah, goodness. Some so people I was are a Montana wildlife commissioner for a year before I moved to Utah and that is a hot topic among people, mm. the crossbow issue. Now I don't care if you use, I've never shot with a crossbow. I don't care if you use a crossbow. Like personally, my dad started using a crossbow when he was in his seventies, more power to him. It Mm. kept him in the woods. And I love that. Um, I personally believe that our disabled veterans or non-veterans, disability people should have a right to use a crossbow. That's just my personal opinion. People can disagree all they want. Oh my God, you would have thought Cause I, I did an interview that said that with um, Hunter Nation and you would have thought that, you know, I, I was the devil incarnate because I said that disabled veterans should be able, I think they should be able to use a crossbow to enjoy Mm
0: -hmm.
2: September, the September elk hunt, to enjoy the bugling, to get out into the woods. And there were, there are so many people who completely disagree with me that it would be, everybody would try to, you know, take advantage of the system and use crossbow. There might be a few yahoos who try to use a crossbow, uh, and you know, say they used a compound. But I think, in general, it would do more good for you know our vets. And I've taken dozens of amputee veterans hunting, and there are some of them that I know they say, well, you could you could get an adapted bow, and yeah, you can pull it back with your teeth. There is such a thing, and and I get it, but it shouldn't be that if a if a combat veteran who's You know, whatever disability they have, it's just my opinion that if they want to pick up a crossbow and hunt with it, the more power to them. Not only that, yeah, that
1: like I, yeah, I feel I feel like even if you're not disabled, you you know, ever like you said, everybody's in a different walk of life. Everybody's in a different spot, and if somebody. Wants to go out elk hunting, but has never had anybody, you know, and they don't have a good archery shop or something like that in their area, especially if you live in like Colorado or Montana or something where you might have to drive two, three hours to go to an archery shop just to get, to get fitted up and when you can go buy a crossbow that's ready to go for like three, $400. And And there's people that say,
2: oh, they're going to be shooting 150 yards. Yeah. No, I'm not saying that there aren't. But there's also compound guys who shoot that. Exactly. Like, would I ever I don't take shots past 50 yards. I mean, I don't pull enough, number one, but I I just don't. That's my personal preference. I think wind becomes a factor, you know, but that's just for me. Are there guys who can shoot? At 100 yeah. plus yards, <laughs> hell yeah, there are more power to them. But I don't think guys are going to be running out and getting a crossbow and shooting 150 yards no, at deer. I or don't elk. either. And, I,
3: but, I I personally have never uh, even attempted a shot that far with my crossbow. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. So I I, I, I just I just I think, think that. Uh, yeah, crossbows are um, are very, and we, we talked about this a couple weeks ago uh, with another guest, I believe. And basically, my my view is like, I live in Michigan. We're overrun with deer. Um, I think everybody should be allowed to have, I think infants should be armed with crossbows. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, but, and that's
2: another really good point though. It's depending, like, are you talking about deer overpopulation? Because that is a true problem. Um, yeah. You know, and even in Montana, not the mule deer, but like the, the whitetail in certain areas, you can get four river bottom tags, you know, and go mm-hmm. with your bow, can't with a crossbow, but you could go with your bow and get four does. Well, why don't you let people use crossbows for does,
1: you Yeah, know? especially if you're numbers. having an overdose yeah.
2: problem? Yeah. 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 So anyway, that's one of many topics that was on the docket, I heard about a lot when I was a commissioner that I just mm-hmm. I also am, am very passionate about our combat veterans and think we should do everything we can for them. So,
1: yeah,
3: absolutely. Yeah. And um, going back to something you said earlier, we do um, hunting is slowly but surely getting less and less popular. Um, with yeah. the with the with the communities that don't have any idea about it, and and actually to bring back a further point, um, I too have had lots of experience where um, we have we have a Grand Traverse Regional Land Conservancy here, and some of their land um, they buy up land and then they allow people to hike on it, and uh, some of them you can uh, you can hunt on, mm-hmm. and uh, I me and my thirteen year old son we love to go squirrel hunting, and um, we'll I, I encounter people constantly. You know, just hiking, and then um, I get asked all the time because our squirrel season goes to the end of March. It's the last day of March is the last day of the season, and okay. uh, I'll, I'll be out there the last day of the season because it's like you know we love to do it, and um, people will be freaking out on me, you know, and I, I'm like, you know, okay, this is not a this is not some dangerous <laughs> weapon. I'm I'm shooting a 22, and I'm shooting into trees, you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, and honestly. They just don't know any better, especially if they haven't grown up in a hunting family. By the way, I, uh, I've not done a ton of squirrel hunting, but when I did it, my dad's cabin, it was so much fun. Um, I, this year I was not at my dad's cabin. He sold it, but I was with a bunch of friends, my second family in Prairie Duchin. And we were just, I didn't take out. Um, but it, it was funny. It was just Heath, he had never been to Wisconsin before, could not believe the squirrels. Like, he's like, <laughs> We should just come and do a squirrel hunt in here. Next you should, year. Like, yeah, Jenna. Please. And like, come and I do have a, a
1: squirrel fun. hunt and we'll do. I, I told Clay, we want to do recurves and just have a blast shooting them with like trad bows. So yes. Fun.
2: Come yeah, on, do it. So <laughs> I totally would. I have a, I have a Instagram account I love to follow. If you guys, I don't know if you see him, it's called Squirrel Warriors. This guy mm. does taxidermy oh, yeah. with squirrels. <laughs> like, you know, they're riding the rabbit or they're shooting mm. their bow. They look like little Robin Hoods. They are so cute. I love I'm on his waiting list. He's got a waiting list so long. And they're the same price as a like deer mount because no he's way. so good. And he makes clothes for them like they're so <laughs> I want one riding a rabbit, but um they're they like a chipmunk riding a rabbit, but they're just hilarious. You got to go check out Squirrel Warriors. I did a video <laughs> um just a couple of weeks ago, I was in my basement looking at my deer mounts and I just, just thought of this. So literally have zero effort into this reel, but I just said, Hey, calling all deer hunters. If you're like me and your deer hunt turns into a squirrel fest, I've got a good idea for you. And then I flashed to his, you know, squirrel mount. It's got almost a million views and I'm like, oh, that's awesome. okay, there's something. Yeah. People are either really into squirrels or really into squir- or taxidermy. <laughs> yeah. Yep yeah so i am a semi-amateur
1: professional (laughs) squirrel taxidermist clay didn't clay didn't yeah clay didn't believe me that i said i i wanted to get into taxidermy and my buddy in order to teach me said well the easiest thing you could do first is squirrels so we did like four of them and uh how'd they turn out not too bad i showed him one of the like the second one i ever did i sent him a picture of it it's not too bad Right, Clay. I mean, it's decent.
3: Yeah, no, 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 it's not too bad. But I, I did have a question for you. Are you skinning them the way you skin a muskrat? Then?
1: <laughs> Are you asking me?
3: Yeah, yeah, I'm asking you. When you so when you, when you skin them there, down yeah. the
1: middle and then and then pull oh. pull them out and clip the clip the paws, turn them inside out, and flush them.
3: Oh, you. Oh, okay. I thought you. I, I was gonna say um, with a muskrat, you just do like a line down the leg and then pull the whole thing off like a sock.
1: No, I I skinned them in the middle, like a incision, okay. like that okay. long, and then trimmed around it and folded them inside out and kept going. Yep.
2: Ah. Okay. So then okay, all you have to stitch of, is
1: the belly. Yeah.
2: Speaking of muskrat, have either one of you eaten muskrat? I yes, have I have. Oh, yeah. Oh, you have, Clay? Okay. Let's yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, yeah I, 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 tra-
3: I trap muskrat, yeah.
2: Oh, um, nice, nice, nice. I was yeah. treated to smoked muskrat um, up in Alberta. I hunted ah. with uh, the Swampy Cree Nation and Mm -hmm. um they were just so great and one of the guys brought over muskrat and it was like i had this it was really actually very bland it had no Mm -hmm. bad taste whatsoever like you might think it was actually very bland but it almost looked like shredded beef and if Mm -hmm. you salted it it was great i i can see why up there especially they did tons of muskrat hunting and it was one of their staples because you yeah. could always find them, they're always plentiful, and they're actually really good eating.
3: Yeah, So uh, I have a I, I, Yeah, I wrote a Substack article about how um, I think that if you're a forager and a hunter and you're delusional enough to think that you could survive the apocalypse uh, on deer, that um, <laughs> better, better, better get used to eating muskrat, because uh, <laughs> muskrat's one of the most uh, like reprodu- reproductive animals in our country you know yep. um, a, a yep. single mom a single mom can have 45 babies in a year
2: holy wow. cow i didn't know that neither did yeah. i know, <laughs> like seriously no one is serious no no wonder why like the swampy cree tribe and their mm. ancestors literally you know that was one of the most sustainable things they collected was bus bread no wonder yeah. with like the i had no idea the numbers i thought rabbits were bad wow <laughs>
3: <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> yeah, well, well, you have otters eating them from the water, and then you have uh, all kinds of aerial predators eating muskrats as well. So,
2: yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Let's, let's get
1: on the subject here then, because I'm curious. I've never eaten a coyote or a wolf or anything like that. Have either of you?
3: No. No. My Would friend you?
2: Jason Tarwater has. Um, oh, for so, sure. So my buddy Jason Tarwater, he works with the NWTF. He cooked up coyote. And he said it wasn't bad. Um, so I, w- I eat everything, right? I mean, I love mountain lion, I'm, I, bears. Obviously, I hunt bear more than any other species. So I eat a lot of it. Um, I love bear. I love, every- I love everything. Um, the one thing that would concern me is parasites um, mm-hmm. with coyotes. I don't know if anyone I know has ever eaten a wolf, but um, I'm sure there are people out there. Um, but I, you know, not, it just, not just because, ooh, they're buggy. But literally, they probably have some type of parasite that's not the safest to eat. I'm not mm-hmm. sure. Um, I did see an episode. It was one of Ranella's episodes so long ago where he cooked it up. And even he said it was horrible. And <laughs> it mu- it must have been bad if he said it was.
1: <laughs> I, yeah, I imagine like a musky, you know, depending on what time of year it is, especially if they're breeding or something, might be extra musky. There. But my
2: my husband John hunts coyote more than any other species. He is well. We have coyote dogs. We have decoy dogs. Yeah, Mm -hmm. he has three decoy dogs, um, which is so much fun. Um, They actually lure the coyotes back to you as a hunter sitting in the you know you're sitting there and you're calling like a regular coyote hunt but then the dogs will go and lure the coyotes back to you it's so much fun! no way right really? wait, wait,
3: yeah. wait, wait. No, oh, go oh this a little bit you have you, you
2: have aren't you afraid no. of your dogs
1: getting shot from another
2: no oh i mean if you took some yahoo out with you maybe but like no i actually before i even met john i had hunted with levi johnson and he um he has a show on Uh, it's on carbon TV and dogging it or something, right? Dogging with Levi. Yep. And he's got mountain cur dogs too, just like John. And I've been out with Levi probably half a dozen times. It is so much fun. So you train the dogs, and when they're pups, they're following the other dogs, like, you know, the other cur dogs and watching them, what they do, but you basically beef them or tone them or train them. Um, when the coyotes come in, the dog's natural instinct is to chase it. Right. But you, and the once in a while, they'll tangle up and nip each other or get into a little bit of a fight. But really, the dogs go out. If they see or hear the coyotes, they'll go out to them. And, you know, 10 or 15 yards away, they'll turn around and come back to the hunter. And that's through training with toning. And when they come back, the coyotes, especially like during the spring and summer when they've got pups, a den full of pups, they're like, oh, you're afraid of me. You're in my territory. They'll chase the dogs then back to the hunter. If you watch my episode, um, it's, it's, I think it was October or November's episode of last season. So season five on Chronicles on Carbon, my show is all about coyote hunting. Cause that's all my husband cares about. And we show <laughs> lots of different stands where we're killing coyotes. But then at the end, we have one of the best dog in sequences. We went coyote hunting on our honeymoon because who doesn't go coyote <laughs> hunting? On honeymoon? That's awesome. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and uh, we had a great sequence with Pearl and Ruby and watched them work these coyotes back and forth and back and forth. And I mean, it's to the point where often they're so fixated on the dog. The coyotes are so fixated on the dog that they're. All their scruples go out. out. They, they, I've, I've literally shot and missed multiple times at coyotes. And if the dogs are around, if we're hunting with the dogs, they'll keep coming in. They'll keep no coming in. Really. Wow. Oh yeah. Yeah. So, crazy.
1: so the dogs don't fun. look like a coyote. They're just no. They okay. look like a
2: lab. Okay. With a no, yeah. No a cur. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Okay. Yeah. Because when you first said decoy dogs, like decoy coyote decoy dogs, like in my head, I'm thinking, oh, these oh, dogs like look decoy. like a coyote.
2: Yeah. 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 And that's no, why they, I was like, called...
1: are you afraid of somebody shooting them? Like, even if they were just roaming and got in the neighbor's yard, if they looked like a coyote. Yeah. yeah. yeah be, no, uh... <laughs> I, told, I, I probably should have
2: explained that. Yeah. No, they're called decoys or decoy yeah. or decoy dogs, mm-hmm. but no, they don't look like coyotes. They actually, uh, but it's funny. Uh, Seth Simpson, he hunts with all different types of dogs and he, he's a huge coyote hunter and he's trained. We actually Bought a draught from him. John did a, a, a you know draughtar, and they look like kind of a German short hair. Yeah, with and he a was cool he,
1: beard. And,
2: oh, he was the best dog. But Razor, he he only lived two years. He died of a twisted gut. But he was a mm. great decoy, he was a great decoy dog. And Steph tr- said he's a dog trainer professionally, but he can train I swear anything any kind of dog into being a decoy dog. But curs are really known for. Coyote hunting. Malt well, prefer. I was going to
3: say, you, you also probably have to have a big enough dog, right? Because, like, I have a Mountain Feist, and uh, he's, a, he's a squirrel and a small game dog. I bet you, you could try to do it. And, and uh, I don't think I could because, actually, my friend Lance, uh, shout out to Lance Cottrell. He's a big hunter guy. He's got um, his dad, and uh, he won't hunt him at night because he said that uh, if he did, he'd probably get um, eaten by coyotes because he's so small. You know, Feists yeah. are only, yeah. they're only like 25 pounds.
2: He, I don't know about what the size. I've never seen any of Seth's dogs be that little, but Mm. you know, like our curs are pretty little. We just got another dog from Seth. His name's Blue, and he's a mixture of Donovan Pinscher and Catahoula and something. He looks like a gray pity, actually. He looks kind of like a pity with a tail. And but he's even teenier than the girls. He's about the size of a coyote, but he Mm. is fierce. Like, so. (laughs) Yeah. I don't think you want smaller than a coyote, but I don't know. You'd have to ask the experts like Seth on that.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, well, that's awesome.
3: I, I, I just think it's kind of fascinating, like how, how dogs can be trained to do almost anything. I mean, a few, a few episodes back we had on um, David Ian Howe, who's the, um, he's like an ethno He studies like dog human relations. And hmm. um, pretty fascinating. I mean, dogs will do like literally almost anything that we want them to do like he he actually refers to dogs as like human technology
2: (laughs) (laughs) that's so interesting yeah yeah Yeah. i uh i i need to learn some training techniques when it blue is a great dog he's just so wound he's a year and a half we got him like half a year ago um maybe he's two by now but he's just so but you know he's also outdoor dog and a hunting dog and he'll he's not fixed. And so he's a little crazy, but I could definitely use some schooling and how to teach him some manners.
3: You just got to look at him like you're going to kill him. <laughs> <laughs> I, I could do that. I'm not really good at that. <laughs> uh, so all your dogs live outside,
2: though, I take it? Yeah. They're John built the most beautiful dog kennel when we moved into our house in June. And yeah, it's a really beautiful kennel, but they're, they're toughies, they're outdoor. But they're babies yeah. too, you know. They're they've got their own little heated box and yeah. Okay. But they're uh they're good dogs. It's totally different. It's funny. I never, I uh, always had indoor dogs. Um, and I lost my PD, who was a a white pit mix, uh, two years ago. And I at one point I thought I'm just gonna get another one right away because you know I was just heartbroken to losing him. I'll tell you what though, it is so nice to not have to deal with dog hair that. <laughs> It might be a while before I have another indoor, unless I get one that, you know, a non-shedder. Like yeah. No.
3: My, my dog comes in my house, but we've got some pretty strict rules. Like, he's not allowed on any beds. He's not allowed on the couch. He's not allowed, like, you know, he he's a puppy, too. He's only five months old. And he looks at us like we've betrayed him.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I know. Yeah. I know. I love dogs so much. I could literally just follow dogs of Instagram, and I'd be content. Uh, I like <laughs> I like dogs a lot more than a lot of people. Well, so have you done any other any other cool, cool hunts? <laughs> I'm
3: sorry, you, what were you saying, Clay? I was gonna say, have you done any hunts, um, other hunts with dogs?
2: Oh yeah, bird hunting. Yeah, I, not yeah. a lot. I'm not a big waterfowler. In fact, um, our buddy, Richie Gonzalez and his buddy took us out recently. And oh my gosh, we, I got, like, we got eight birds and emptied out four or five boxes. Like I'm definitely <laughs> not a big waterfowler. But I grew up with bird dogs. I grew up pheasant hunting. We had springers. Um, I had a lab Otis for 16 years. He wasn't much of a hunter. But I've, uh, I've done a lot of pheasant hunting with dogs. But, mm. oh, I've also, I have also i don't own them, but I've done ton of mountain lion hunting with dogs. And I've done uh, one bear hunt with dogs with TJ Pace here in Utah. He's got amazing dogs. And uh, we, I drew a Utah bear tag two years ago. And you can use hounds in Utah. And so we did the hound hunt and I thought, yeah, I want to experience this at least once because I'm a huge bear hunter, but I'd never done the hound thing. And it was awesome. It, it, yeah. it was just as hard to hunt as any other spot and stalk bear hunt that I've been on. Um, you know, because a lot of times you, you know, follow the dogs in or they get off the trail or one time we just did a huge walkthrough through the mountain trying to cut a track and you know, probably did 10 miles that day. You know, there's a lot of hiking, a lot of work involved, but, um, it was really a fun episode. You could that one on season three of Skullbone Chronicles. Wow.
1: So I got to ask you, um, are you, are you still putting in for a bear attack in Wisconsin or have you given up on that or?
2: No, I never really did. I believe it or not. I never really did. Um, when I moved to Montana's, when I got into bear hunting, um, I do so much bear hunting that I almost don't even have the time. I, I might do a Wisconsin crop damage hunt, though, with my buddy Jeff Long. He's got friends who live north, way north, and they get crop tags every year because the bears do so much damage. And I would definitely go do that with him. Um, but, yeah, Montana is over the counter for bear. Idaho is two tags over the counter. <laughs> Plus, I typically go, like, this year I'm, on four, I'm doing four bear hunts. I'm doing, I run my own baits in Idaho every year with Heath. Um, I've got Montana spot and stock. I drew Prince of Wales, black bear, which you can pretty much draw every other year. And I'm going grizzly hunting in June in Alaska. So I've got a busy spring with bear
1: hunts. No kidding. (laughs) Save all the fat, Jana. Save it all and render it all.
2: Yeah, Uh, I try. I try. I, when I was living in Montana and my girlfriend, Laura Zara lived with me, she was really into that. She's into making things with the fat and. Um, I had another friend who is really into cooking with it. Um, mm-hmm. I never really was, um, not that I won't be someday. I just, it's, for me, it's finding time to do all these things I want to do. You know, I'm travel so much cause I film 12 episodes a year. I travel so much. I'm then now show seasons kicking off. I'll be at sheep show hunt expo. Um, and then my husband's an auctioneer goes to, he's right now in Dallas. He goes to so many auctions all through May and so it's just super hard. I'd really love to learn how to tan my own hides. I'd love to learn how to trap, and I would really like to learn to do more with bear fat because I have a lot of it. Yeah. But usually, I yeah. just give it. I give it away. I just don't have time yet. I'd love to learn to garden. I don't know anything about gardening, <laughs> uh, but I don't have time.
1: So <laughs> speaking of all that and not having time, and you mentioned Laura, which um knows a lot about herbalism and foraging and stuff how has your journey uh-huh. progressed
2: how is what
1: how has your journey progressed on the whole foraging thing have you learned any yet oh. have you learned uh-huh. the king boletes and at least pick those when you're out there hunting or no no oh. what's
2: that the how giant, the giant porcini
1: mushrooms the giant mushrooms oh that, is that
2: what they oh yeah, yeah yeah. oh i'm sorry yeah i have i'm not collected them myself i've heard of them i am not i'm not the best i haven't learned a ton You'd think I would with Laura, but Laura and I were like two ships that passed right, in the night. Right. We weren't. We didn't spend that much time in the mountains together. But she, we went out one day and she collected valerian root and um. Oh, what's that other one? Oh, this is a great story about foraging and collecting. <laughs> so we were we were at my house. My dog Pete had just had major surgery on his neck. He had some big lump removed, and the poor guy, you know, was just walking around and higher than a kite. He'd had surgery that day. And he had like, he looked like Frankenstein with his little stitches. I felt so bad. And I had people over. Laura was there, friends of Laura's, Polly and Dee, my friends were there. And we were going back and forth onto the deck in the evening and it started to get windy and the door blew into Pete and split his neck. And I, I didn't see it happening, but I went into the kitchen and there was blood everywhere. And I'm like, oh my God, where's Pete? And I went and he was behind the couch and he couldn't see. He had blood in his eye and it it was just horrible. And Laura goes, do we have any yarrow in the yard? I'm like, what? And she goes, yarrow. And I'm like, what the heck is yarrow? And it was summertime. (laughs) So she goes out there. She comes back in. I'm trying to put pressure on Pete's stitches. And she's like, do you have a mortal and pestle? I'm like, no. And so she puts it in her mouth and she starts chewing and I guess it tastes disgusting. And she gets this massive wad of green goop and spits it into her hand and puts it on Pete's wound and she just sits there for a couple minutes and sure enough, completely stopped the bleeding. Like yeah. you know, yeah, that's that's a good Laura story. There's many, many more where that came from too. But I'm not the best forager, except when it comes to sheds and morels.
1: That's okay. Mm. That's okay. <laughs>
2: Yeah. Clay, but Clay doesn't get morels. I need, <laughs> I need more time to learn. Oh, are you into morels, Clay?
3: No, I'm not. Um, oh, I,
2: yeah.
3: yeah, no. So I am a foraging teacher and, uh oh. I, uh, I have the mysterious thing of only finding morels when I'm not looking for them.
2: <laughs> oh, right. No, me too. What's really funny <laughs> is my bear bait in Idaho, they're, you know, they're high there. A lot yeah. of times there's snow and, and, it's funny, I find morels around all my bear sites, and I mm-hmm. don't know what that connects to, if it has anything to do with bear scat, bear walking, bears walking around a lot, but where we put our bait, there's always tons of morels. The is, <laughs> what do you right? think the connection is?
3: Oh, I don't know. You know, I, I, I know everybody has this weird association of foraging with mushrooms, um, but I, while I do forage mushrooms, um, I, I'm way more fascinated by plants, and I spend okay. more time dealing with yeah, plants. Clay so. is our resident
1: yeah. plant expert on the podcast, oh, so yeah.
2: I need to come hang out with you and figure out like at least the like top ten ones I should be collecting. Well, you know, it's, uh, yeah. it's never
1: a should be. It's what I, everybody says. What should I collect or what should I do? Yeah, it's there's, there's no such thing as should be because everybody's different, but. What could impact you, or what's more important to your lifestyle? You know, like the well, way you when live the
2: apocalypse or... happens, I oh. want to know what medicinal <laughs> I should eat in my house.
1: Oh, there's lots of stuff you could eat. Yeah, unless you're talking like medicinal yeah. stuff. But Clay is a yeah. a yeah. big chaga guy, and he's been oh. collecting a ton of chaga lately.
3: What yeah. do you do with it? Uh, I mean, do you know what chaga is? No. Oh, okay. chaga chaga is um, it's just a medicinal fungus that grows on birch trees. It's actually so a
1: canker,
3: a right? It is, it is technically not a mushroom, which is great that uh, you got that, because most people call it chaga mushroom, and it's not. It's like a, it's just a fungal growth that is, uh, and so it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's the uh, tumor that grows off of the birch tree. Oh. Like, yeah. So, um, but it is an infection that is slowly killing the birch tree. Oh. Yeah.
2: So. Um, That's so interesting. And, and what, do, what do you like to do with it?
3: Well, I mean, we we sell it. <laughs> we, but what do we, people
2: do? Is it medicinal?
3: Yeah, it's it's medicinal. Oh. It's got it's got a lot of stuff. Um, I I like to have a more realistic approach to telling people about it, right? Like, so chaga is good. It is medicinal, but it's also um, it it is high in um, oxalates. So if anybody has like kidney issues or anything like that, they should not touch chaga. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, I also do think that it's good. But I don't think that it's as good as, like, the hype is. That
1: I mean, that's say. not what you told okay. me, Clay. I thought you said you had a friend that, like, cured his own cancer with chaga or something, or allegedly. Um,
3: <laughs> no, I have I have a friend who uh, came to my chaga class, like, eight or nine years ago, had cancer, and then he started drinking chaga, like, every single day. And then his words were his uh, doctor was baffled by the amount of uh, white cells that he had after that. Cause he said his white cell count was like extremely low. And then when he started drinking chaga all the time, it raised his white blood cell uh, count. Now I have no idea if that was because of the chaga. I just told you that story as an anecdote. (laughs) (laughs)
2: I'll tell you what though. Like I, as I go through my journey in life and get older and all the supplements I take and the health things you learn, I would rather be on that kind of treatment than so many Westernized medicines treatment. Like, I think, I think our, our country does not want to get us well and keep us well. They're trying to keep us sick. And I, I, I I absolutely believe in um, holistic approaches, um, you know, holistic medicines. I follow a ton of those pages on Instagram and Facebook and, uh, Toxins, you know. I've recently gone down the rabbit hole of what is toxic in my household. Everything. So I've tried to, (laughs) yeah, yeah, it's true. The water out of the tap for crying out loud. So I've tried to, you know, just kind of decontaminate my house in terms of the products we use, both on our skin and cleaning products, and you know, no candles, no whatever. I've gone down that rabbit hole last couple of years because. I truly believe there's so many products out there that are made to make us sick. Well, so, I tell you what, I love you.
1: <laughs> I've been making tallow products lately, so I'll have to send you some tallow body lotion. I make whipped tallow body lotion.
2: Oh yeah, that's so cool. <laughs> that's awesome. That's really cool. Huh. Yeah,
3: s- synthetic fragrances, like you just mentioned, like oh. candles and all that stuff. They're they're so terrible for us. And like um, every time I go to my mom's house, I'm like, my mom's like always like. Foggy and like Does she have the oh, sensey burning?
2: Yeah. yeah. Oh no, my mom all, is too. And, my and mom is too. All, yeah. Yep. And she i mom, stop using air freshener, stop using plug-ins, stop using your candles, don't use your air fresheners, get rid of your Febreze, do not use you know, laundry sheets, like mm-hmm. on and on and on. And every time I come home, she's like, What are you gonna tell me to throw out this time?
0: <laughs> oh jeez.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. it's it's true. I mean, it's uh at least people are catching on and and trying to, you know, make a, a better step in the right direction because I mean, yeah. my gosh, with with as many things now versus how many there were and it, the list just keeps getting longer to the point to where I mean, everybody is going to have cancer by the time they're, you know, 40 or 50 anymore. It's it's just insane. So you know hopefully more people learn and try and live a more natural life and not only will it make everybody healthier but also you know provide a better environment if people stop buying those products too
2: oh yeah and truly like we hunters have it made because we're out you know getting organic food as as fresh as it can be and you know i've always ever since i was 19 i've been primarily eating venison you know or and or fish we've caught and birds we've shot and you know for my freezers, typically got everything from, like I said, bear, mountain lion, to pheasants, to deer, antelope, muley, um, elk. And uh, the more and more studies that come out show how much healthier wild game is than anything else.
1: Clay, pose your question about the, the venison and the taste.
2: Oh, oh,
3: um, oh
2: <laughs> I
3: um, I purposely like i know it's probably weird to say but in in our household we like um we like deer that have never eaten a uh off of a cornfield ever so like the the deer that i shot this uh, i shot a doe this fall and she was miles from any agriculture and uh predominantly eating cedar and we love the taste of it and um I'm not doing anything for conservation by shooting those deer because Michigan is overrun deer in the Southern part of the state where all the agriculture is. But, <laughs> uh-huh. um, but, um, I'm going to go to Southern Michigan next year. But the point is, is that we think corn fed venison tastes like crap. Um, and I, and I doesn't feel as like healthy to me. And I, I mm-hmm. and, uh, let me go on a little side tangent here for a second. Uh, <laughs> recently I found out that there's more, um, plant, uh, antioxidants in meat than in plants themselves because of the accumulation that the animals do when they're eating. So like wild animals eating all kinds of a variety of antioxidants actually put that into their meat and then you get that as well. So Mm -hmm. meat is pretty medicinal, right? Mm -hmm. Well, I don't like corn fed venison. I think it tastes like crap. What do you think?
2: (laughs) Um, I honestly don't know. I haven't I'm trying to think if most of my whitetails per se have not been around corn because where I hunted the last 20 years, for example, was at my dad's cabin where it's, we don't have, we don't have any food plots. It's straight up acorn, you know, and foraging, but it does, it makes sense to me in, in my rabbit hole of toxicity is that it makes sense to me that you are probably getting some of that glyphosate that's on that corn. So, yeah. you know, why not? If that corn is being sprayed by the number one, you know, pesticide in the, that, that other countries have literally deemed illegal, our country mm-hmm. sprays everything with it. If that, that pesticide, that glyphosate is getting on the corn and that deer is eating the corn, then it makes sense to me that if you are super vibrational, that you can tell that, you know, mm-hmm. makes sense to me. I don't know. But I would say most of the whitetails I've ever shot, they're not uh, in or out of a cornfield. So yeah. I'm probably not the best person to ask that. But it's interesting that you can taste the difference. But, you know, chemically, and coming from a point of view with organic versus non-organic, I'd always prefer that they did not eat on corn. Yeah,
1: yeah. me well, too. Luke, Unfortunately, Luke it's no, impossible. I'm... It's There's yeah. so much agricultural land around me that I don't think I could go... 10 miles in any direction without hitting a field. So yeah, it's almost impossible yeah. for me. Although I will say there's some places where I hit some like pretty decent amount of river bottomed where at least they're probably minimalized, you know, contact
2: with corn. And like how much of that deer's diet is corn? You know, like they're probably foraging on a lot of other things as well, I would assume. Um, you yeah,
1: know, except for in the fall, like know, harvest time. That That's when... When like well, when they... Yeah, when all the corn is dropped on the ground, I'll you, you watch them go out there every night and eat it. Yeah. You know, it's almost yeah. like clockwork, but Yeah.
2: Yeah. I don't know. It'd be <laughs> really interesting to be able to test test the venison to see mm. if there are traces of the chemical in it.
1: We could do yeah. that. I think we could do that.
3: I think that'd be very expensive. Um, and the
1: I might the know some people. Johnson. I might have some yeah,
3: uh, I'll have my people talk to you Yeah, people. I might have some lab <laughs>
1: connections, so we might be able to do that and do a little comparison. Yeah. You're gonna have to send me some meat clay. Um, yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. But you know what's funny though about that is that um, I don't want to eat uh, venison that's eaten off a cornfield, but I've shot deer in a uh, or sorry, I've shot ducks in a uh, layout blind in a cornfield, and man. It's so nice getting a nice fat corn fed duck.
1: Yeah. Well <laughs> that's what the duck though, no matter what. I mean, because it flies and it migrates, I mean, it's probably yeah. hit every cornfield on the way to wherever it is to you anyway. You know? Yeah. So yeah. But anyway, Jana, it's been awesome talking to you. We could probably talk forever, but we don't want to take up too much of your time. Um like I said, it's awesome. We thank you so much for coming on, but before we go Um, Could you please tell everybody where they can find you, find your show, uh, reach out to you, all those good things?
2: Yeah. Um, On social media, I'm only on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. It's Skullbound TV or Skullbound Chronicles. Both are me. Um, You can find my show on Carbon TV. Uh, I've got just launching season six, uh, Skullbound Chronicles on Carbon TV. Season six launches next week. So mid-January. And Carbon TV is always free. Uh, you can watch the app on your phone, or you can put Carbon TV on your TV through a Roku stick. You can just go in and add channel. You can do it with a Fire Stick. Uh, any Vizio TVs, now you can put Carbon right in the main menu. So you can watch it right, right next to your Netflix, Amazon, Carbon TV. I also oh, have, yeah, yeah, it's awesome. Yep. They signed a huge deal with the ZO TVs this year. So, um, And then even most people have a Roku stick, Fire Stick. Yeah. You just go into the settings and there's an add channel button and you hit find, you know, the find button, type in carbon. You'll see it pop up. It has a little box that says add to home menu. Check the box and boom, there it is.
1: And in fact, I think um, you just, didn't you do a video on that recently?
2: <laughs> Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. On the, on the Visio one. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I did. And uh, I also have my fast channel that's on 31 networks now, which is really exciting. And it's just like any other like Nat Geo Discovery channel. You put it on and you gotta have to unfortunately sit through some commercials, but it's fun to leave on while you're doing stuff around the house or with the kids and and uh you never know what episode is gonna circulate. It's 14 years worth of skullbound shows that are all on there. The easiest way to watch that one, it's also on carbon TV. It's under their live heading, their live heading, um, and it's just called Skullbound. And uh, the other big network that carries it is Local Now, and Local Now has gotten huge. It's got like thousands of channels, and it's all free, always free. It starts out with your local weather, and then you just go up to the channels. Um, if you, my channel is two one one two on Local Now, and that's like I said, just you never know what you're gonna see. Rotating bound episodes from the past fourteen years. So,
3: wow, awesome! Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, I'm actually shocked that you can do it on Roku, and I'm going to do that right after I'm done talking to you. <laughs>
2: All right, sweet. If you have any problems, just shoot me a text. I'll walk you through it. <laughs> All, <laughs> All right. right,
1: sounds good.
2: <laughs> Look at Again. you, you uh,
1: big, you big tech nerd, Jana. <laughs>
2: right. I know, right?
1: <laughs> well, well, thank you was, so it much. It's great, been it awesome great
3: meeting you, Jana.
2: Oh, nice chatting with you guys too. Eddie um we'll have to catch up maybe mid season. We've got I probably have the craziest hunting season I've I've had in a long time. This I have three veteran hunts that are gonna be amazing. Um I got grizzly bear in June. So sometime after June I'll have to hop back on and we'll we'll chat about the Yeah.
1: You know what else we could do? And this is kind of a dead period right before elk season. I think squirrel starts in like what, August, right, Clay?
3: for me it starts uh, november 15th or, or sorry uh september
1: 15th okay i, th- I oh, believe september. it's august something for us in illinois so you might have to come and shoot some squirrels in illinois or something And
2: we can, uh, that yeah. would be so fun yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah that would be a blast we should have some kind of tournament or something game on <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah all right guys nice yep. chatting